You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello. This is the first of two new episodes of Fly on the Call today, so I'll try to make this intro short and sweet. I'm talking to Brute Alligators, the UK punk band who released This House is Too Big, This House is Too Small at the tail end of last year. They're definitely a big FFO, pup, Spanish love songs, or Ladderman, with a healthy dose of emo thrown in. We're talking about making a divorce record, taking over a year to make the album due to limited studio time and various lockdowns, a journey through inclusivity, identity, and mental health, and the struggle to end on a hopeful note. Stay tuned and enjoy. This house is too big. This house is too small. Is kind of like very much uh, a breakup record. Pretty much going through like all the stages of grief, um, which you know lends itself to a very cohesive album. I'm curious how you kind of like went about like plotting it out and what uh, and like was it kind of like as you were going through it at the time, or was it written more you know after the journey? I mean, uh, so it, it was interesting actually because we um, we we decided that we we're going to be recording an album in. 2020 back in 2019 and so we had a few songs that were like we knew were going to be in there and it was you know we're we're an emo band or like emo adjacent band right so it's like songs are generally around relationship troubles or or um you know how much of a trash person i am so there were a few like relationshipy songs in there um and then uh 2019 to 2020 um had the amazing experience of going through a divorce <laughs> um, uh, just before we went in to record, start recording the album. So, I mean, you know, as I said, for, for an emo record, I think that that was possibly gold dust, but it was, um, it was very much, I mean, that was what kind of, you know, I can laugh about it now. Uh, <laughs> um, that's what informed the record really. So it was like when we uh, went in to, to write the record, it was like, oh, cool, this is going to be a divorce record. Um, and so even though, I mean, even though only like four or five of the 10 songs are like were actively written after that. So I think it was like we we knew that when when we got started with recording that it was it was definitely going to be a, a divorce record. And um, and uh, so like all the songs, even the songs that weren't about it ended up sort of being shaped into um, the, the overall narrative of like the... the a break a proper breakup album which was fun because it felt like you know um we could play with a lot of the songs that we had before and and see if they worked in the, the same way which i'm to be honest i'm not sure if uh the other party in the relationship if they went back and listened to it i don't know how well it had come off for them but <laughs> but yeah 
Yeah, I mean, the one that I'm kind of most curious about is uh, the opening track, The Holiday, which is like, you know, this literal, like, biographical, uh, intense moment of your life where the divorce was initially brought up. And, um, like, how was it being that kind of, like, extremely vulnerable in the lyrics? And I'm also curious, like, how, you know, the the emotions presented in the song were obviously, like, very raw and kind of, like, felt almost like a, a knee-jerk reaction type thing. So I'm curious how you kind of, like, feel about the song now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, that one is a tough one. Um, I mean, I, I, to be honest, like struggled with that song lyrically anyway for ages. We'd, we'd been sitting with the, the bare bones of the music with it for, I think about six months, like pre, pre-divorce. And it was, um, it was, uh, it was when we'd sort of got into recording, it was like, well, this is clearly going to be the album opener. Uh, what are we going to do with this? And I had this, I did have, it, it was a very, uh, as you said, it was like very, that one is very autobiographical, very vivid uh, m- single memory that I had of sitting in a a, a room in Japan on holiday uh, with my family and basically being told that everything was over. And it was, I, I don't know, I, my memory is not great. And um, it's very rare for me to have a like very strong, vivid memory of, of like details but like even when I think of that memory now, it's like very vivid. This picture of of sort of the other person sitting there telling me that, that everything was over, whilst like drawing in the carpet, uh, sort of in the rug that she was sitting on, and like playing, like staring at her sneakers, and like I just, you know, remember these very intense kind of like feelings of like, can you just like look look up at me now? And it was like it was this this you know moment of of um anger and you know as you do when you're having these like very serious conversations um the uh surprise um uh and and it was like i i don't know it was, it's so vivid to me and that was that that moment where i'm like oh geez um i suppose you know artist in me wants to try and capture this and, <laughs> and so like i thought i'd see what, how i could play with like just a single almost like a single um verse over and over and over again subtle variations on it and like just kind of try and like hammer at home um trying to go for it to be honest like completely trying to rip off pop as well um and go for that full pop vibe but yeah like to just try and like capture um a little bit of it i'm not sure i don't know i'm not sure if i did as much as sort of i wanted to but like in the end I, i feel like it was like quite a it is one of those ones that I look back at and go, oh, is that maybe just a little bit too raw? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I um, uh, especially, I don't know, it's the only, I think it's the only one as well where it's like, as I, as I said, the anger of the moment kind of came through. Yeah, as I mentioned uh, before, I think uh, theme through like a lot of the lyrics I've written over the years have generally been around how much of a piece of trash I think I am um as you know I think any self-respecting uh man should and um and and it was like one of the first times where I kind of let let that anger kind of slip over a little bit but yeah it's um I don't know I don't know it's um it's it's one of those ones where it's like it does make me feel slightly uncomfortable but I'm hoping it at least kind of gets gets across the the emotion that I was trying to (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, what you're saying about, like, the repetition, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, it does kind of give you that feeling of, like, you know, like, when something, 
you know, out of the blue kind of happens and it's like, you're, you're almost like spiraling, like kind of coming to terms with what's actually being said versus what you were like kind of expecting or would not have expected. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it is like, that is it, right? It's like, um, and especially, you know, the timing of the whole thing. I mean, not only, not only are you prone to that kind of like spiraling and that, um, it's yeah, that constant repetition of thoughts in your head. I mean, you've got to remember the timings of this as well. Um, beginning of 2020, um, I, I all of a sudden had a lot of time to really think about it in a lot of depth by myself. Thanks, COVID. But um, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you mentioned um, like having the, the instrumentals of that song kind of going into the recording process. Um, and I know on, I think it was on the episode of Rhythm and Bruise that you did uh, about this album, your podcast. Um where you kind of said that often you'll kind of start with instrumentals and then work out the melody and the lyrics from there. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of like that process and also how you kind of like balance the, the positive sounds with the, the sadness of many of the lyrics and just like the sheer, you know, amount of sounds within the album? Yeah, sure. I, I, so, um, so basically, uh, when it comes down to it, it is, uh, Paul is the, the musical genius of the group. Um, he's the one who kind of writes everything out and, and sort of really comes up with the bare bones of most of the songs. Um, and then we kind of just add stuff on top. I think it's one of those things that it's like a lot of bands... It's always the lyricist who ends up getting a lot of the credit for, for songwriting uh, because it's the thing that people, you know, fixate on. They fixate on the words when actually it's usually somebody else in the band who's who's there writing a lot of the uh, the underlying, I don't know, to be honest, like the underlying emotion that goes into to, to music, you know, comes from the music itself, not just the, the words. And so like with with Paul, um, the, the guitarist in the band, he he pretty much like writes everything um, and then usually either sends me really scrappy demos um, via WhatsApp. Um, you know, usually like a nice little chunk of about 45 seconds and, and it's like, do something with this. Or like rocks up at my house with a couple of beers and his acoustic and comes in and goes, okay, we're, we're doing this now. And we kind of like, it's, it's very much then a, a sort of collaborative process where it's uh, me and him kind of going back and forth, you know, can you change this? Um, you know, have have you thought about maybe doing this? Um, but usually it's it's me sort of writing a lot of the time live over over sort of him just playing back and forth. Um, the amount of times that I have to sit there and uh, he probably gets quite annoyed with me um, sitting there <laughs> saying, uh, can you just play those four chords uh, on repeat for the next five minutes, please? <laughs> um, while I figure out the phrasing of this particular <laughs> this particular sentence, and yeah, and then um, that's that's basically like how the the bare bones of most of the songs happen, and then we take them into the rehearsal room with the, with the other two um, guys, Reese and Simon, and and we kind of work out the rest of it from there to get like the live sound, um, which is how up until this record, that's how we've done everything. It's always been a we get it to sound good, how it would sound good on stage. Um, we go out and play it for ages, and then we go in and record it. Pandemic kind of uh, screwed that up for us. But um, so with this one, it was a little bit of a different experience. Of like we we kind of worked it out in the rehearsal room, and then we were just to be honest, like you were talking about, like the layered sound, uh, especially on something like the holiday, where oh, Jesus, the amount of instruments that we ended up chucking on there, that was almost entirely uh, Tom Hill who produced it. Uh, one being very patient and two um, sort of suggesting a lot of this stuff and kind of going oh hey 
Want to go and try that organ over there, or um, or like, hey, uh, here's a you know, crappy piano, or uh, my favorite, um, here's a toolbox full of tools. Uh, go and drop it on the floor over there in front of the microphone um, to get the nice big crash in the middle of uh, holiday. But it is like him and him and Paul especially like had a field day just trying to layer as much as possible. You know, I think there's one of my other favorites is uh, beginning of um, twenty ten zero uh, track three. Uh, the kind of like weird wailing, almost like sireny alarm noise. Uh, it was basically me um, swinging a guitar above my head to try and sort of get some nice like feedback tones happening, whilst Paul was on the ground with with a whole bunch of pedals, just like twisting knobs and trying to get the most gnarly sound that he possibly could. A lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> a lot of fun just to like try and get a weird sound out. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. You know, the album as a whole really steps things up on multiple levels and kind of gets this like cohesion that you haven't had before with the band. I think with each EP, it's like you've gotten a step closer to it. Um, but the, like having the space to really explore the different sides of your sound like really helped it uh, kind of hit home for me. Um, can you talk a little bit more about kind of like just the, the process of, I guess, like working on an album instead of just an EP and that, you know, the, obviously the, the different recording process as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks for that, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, that's the thing is that it's like we, you know, we sat, we sat with this album actually for, for um, after it was finished recording for about seven months until it was, it was out there. So it's nice, nice to hear people actually enjoying it. Um, but I think that's the thing. It's like with the um, the EPs that we did before the album, they were pretty slapdash. Uh, so we recorded both of those ourselves. Um, first one we recorded and uh, mixed and mastered everything ourselves, which I think going back and listening to it, you can hear that. Um, uh, I mean, you know, in saying that, Reese did an amazing job at our drummer. And then um, the the second EP was kind of similar kind of situation of we were like, oh, we really need to record and release something because uh, we've been playing these songs a long time and we just want to kind of get them down. And so we just, I think it was a period of about four days, just I bashed the entire thing out in um, uh, Reese's spare room, um, <laughs> which was not as comfortable as a recording studio. Um and um and and recorded those out and then then i think we we tried to mix them ourselves for quite a while and just weren't getting the sound that we wanted it didn't feel like it was a step up from the previous ep and that was when we were introduced to uh tom tom hill at bookhouse studio um who's recorded so many great uk bands and uh we we actually met him because um he's he's the guitarist in a great post-hardcore band called modern rituals in the uk um, and we were playing with them and, and he's like, oh, why don't you, you know, come down and say hi. Um, and so in the end, we ended up just sending him all the mixes that we, all the recordings that we'd done. And he did a stellar job of mixing those to the point where when we were then thinking about doing an album, it was a no brainer. Like we knew we wanted to go down and spend some time with him and sort of do a proper studio session, have all of that at our, at our, at our feet to, to play with. And I think to be honest, like the original plan was we were going to do the same thing that we'd done in, in previous year, like previous years, previous recordings, we'd go in for a week, bash it out and be done with it. And actually, I think it's the one thing that the pandemic uh, did, a, did a good thing for us because we couldn't get in for a week or two at a time because studio time was at a premium 
in the very small amounts that um, of, of when the UK wasn't in lockdown, basically. So we ended up just kind of grabbing time here and there throughout. I think I think the first session was January 2020. And I think the last one was March or April 2021. Um, so it was like, that was like the last sort of pickup session. And so all the way through there, we were kind of snatching two, three days here and there um, to do songs, which then meant we had time to actually go away and listen to them and figure out what was missing and figure out what wasn't working, uh, which I don't think we'd given ourselves that time ever to do that on any of our any of our things. And to be honest, I think it you know it gave Tom time to to sort of sit back and and think about you know how we're gonna how he was gonna produce it and how he's gonna mix it. And I mean that that ended up changing some songs like fundamentally. So uh, touch knees, I think especially that was the first track that we recorded way back in January. Um, we ended up completely redoing vocals and redoing some of the instrumentation right towards the end. And also uh, This House as well uh, had a completely different verse, which was a crazy Grease-style duet with an amazing singer, uh, um, uh, Lily Ray from Fight Milk. Um, and we ended up scrapping that just because the... Um, to be honest, my lyrics were terrible. Uh, <laughs> and I think that we just kind of... I don't know, put up with good enough uh, when we went into the studio and we're just like, oh, we just need to get it done. And then listening back to it, it was like, yeah, that's not up to, that's not up to a standard that we'd be happy with. And also it was, you know, problems of me, uh, a man trying to write from the perspective of a woman. Definitely don't recommend that. And in hindsight, that was a, a bit of a, a stupid move on my part. So, um, you know, basically just reworked the way it worked and in the end i think the song uh came out with not only sounding like quite different but with a completely different energy uh which was you know i think if we hadn't had that time we probably wouldn't have um it would have been a very different record yeah it, like almost kind of gave you the experience of like you know the old school like major label bands that would be like in the studio for a month or two like just really yeah. looking at every single side of things but on a budget <laughs> yeah it's like the diy version of doing that yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> nice um and you mentioned um you know the the writing from a perspective of a woman as a man which kind of ties into uh don't talk to me which is you know kind of you're you calling out straight white males and also kind of like figuring out your place within that the, that kind of battle and I know at least behind the scenes, it kind of also tied in a bit with like questioning and discovering your own identity. Can you just talk about, you know, the song and also like, you know, how it helped you as well? Yeah, sure. I mean, so I am, um, uh, so that, that, I mean, that's, that's actually one of the oldest songs on the record that uh, I think even possibly predates the the EP before. I think we'd, we'd written it just before we started recording that EP. So like 2000, sort of 17, 18 ish. I mean, I mean, you know, this scene um is the sort of punk indie emo whatever you want to call our weird amorphous scene is even though it is um a lot better than it used to be it is still heavily dominated by dudes um and not only that but white cis straight dudes and and it was just kind of i don't know i think it was like constantly playing gigs where it was like a I mean, that's the thing is we, we weren't really helping that either as, as a band of four at that point, four cis white straight dudes. It was like there, there were those questions that we were having like right back when we started of 
should we even be doing this? Like, should we be up on stage? And so, like, it was it was very early on that we we started to to decide that like we we wanted to push for things to be, but like, if we were going to get out there and do gigs, because we felt like we like you know, well, we wanted to do it for ourselves, and we wanted to you know, but also it's like we wanted to be part of that movement to like push things forward a little bit more. And so, like, we started to make sure that you know all the lineups that we were on you know, weren't just completely all male or white lineups, um, all straight lineups and, you know, like trying to basically push for a little bit more diversity in the scene. And it was just like, I think it was through that we kind of started to fall a little bit in with the like queer DIY scene in the UK, which is awesome. Uh, it's like some of the, I think some of the best bands in the world and have put me in touch, like put me onto some of the best music in the world. I don't know, through that, it was like, especially then through hearing their stories and through like going to those gigs and seeing the makeup of those people, it was just that that moment of I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go back to that that place of just, you know, just constantly seeing penis on stage. It's um, it's um, it's like I, I want something different and I want some diversity. And and like, that's where this came from. And I think that that was definitely like the first point as well, where it's like, I was starting to realize how uncomfortable I was in that space personally and how I didn't feel like I was part of that space. I didn't feel like, which was confusing because it's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm in a heterosexual relationship. Um, I, well, you know, I identify as a man. I'm in a heterosexual relationship. Why do I not feel like I'm part of that group why do I feel like I'm on the outside of that group and yeah I think that it was like it was my way of kind of like playing with those I'm not part of you um writing this and you know basically saying you know this I'm not I'm not happy with with um with the way things are and I'm not happy with with the way that you know a lot of you fuckers are acting (laughs) sorry for for the language (laughs) um happy with the way that you know you men are acting um, I want to put myself in the other camp now and I want to put myself as the other. And I think it was like only looking back on it, especially when we were recording it for the album, uh, having been playing it for, for years and actually looking at the lyrics again and going, Oh fuck. Yeah. This, this makes sense. This is why, you know, three years later, I actually had the courage to go, Oh, actually, you know, I'm queer. Um, this is, this is actually a much more comfortable identity for me. And even then, like, I mean, Jesus, you know, I feel like I'm still exploring that and still exploring, like, what is what is identity? Because I think that's, you know, one of the most amazing things, one of the reasons that queer felt so um, right for uh, me is is because it is like a rejection of the binary and a rejection of, I don't know, kind of like rejection of putting things in boxes, um, which is what, like, masculinity kind of holds itself up on so much of like this is not only the box you are but this is all of the prescribed things that you need to do to act in this way to be seen as a functioning right male um and it's just like no screw that i don't i don't want to be part of that i'm i'm over here i'm i'm my own thing i'm you know and i'm happy with that now for sure and and that's why in your initial email to me you were like i hate 
putting my band, comparing them to other bands. I just, we're just, we're brutaligators. That's it. <laughs> it all adds up yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, oh, Jesus. Yeah, a bit, picking a genre for your band is, is one of the worst things ever. It's, um, I mean, I, I'm all for niches and, and subgenre. Like, you know, I think if we can subgenre every uh, subgenre, that, that'd, be, that'd be the best. I want there to be, you know, 50 different classifications for emo. Because if it makes somebody feel accepted and welcome in that particular little niche, then that's a good thing. For sure, for sure. <laughs> um, and you had mentioned uh, 2010-0, and that's one of my favorites on the album. Kind of like hitting on the process of, you know, getting on medication and, you know, the side effects, the trial and error, the kind of weighing the pros and cons. Um, I, I definitely connect with, like, the I Won't Miss the Mountains chorus because it's, like, catchy as hell. And also kind of like th that feeling of like singular consistency being like better in some ways than dealing with like the high highs and the low lows. Um, can you just talk a little bit more about that song? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't know if you picked up the reference there, but um, I'm a massive musical theater geek as well. And there's a phenomenal song called I Miss the Mountains um, from a show called Next to Normal, which I very heartily ripped off the concept of the chorus from. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think it's like me, both Paul and I uh, have have sort of been on different antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication for, for years. And and it was funny. I don't know. It was like, especially, I think we both, we both started taking them around the same time. And so like went through this journey together and they're weird things. They're like, they're really, really weird chemicals. Yeah, they're just really fucking weird. And like the um the the way that they mess with your like I don't know, I feel like they mess with your head in ways that you you kind of might not expect. Um and and so yeah, so I mean there is that whole like I don't know. I I um leveling out is a really good thing when you need it. But uh ha having now I'm actually I'm off meds at the moment. Um, and I came off meds spe specifically because I was, um, for me at least, and I think this is the thing is that it's really important to say that it's like, it's a really personal thing, right? And it's a really like every single person is different. So like I have, if, you know, I came off meds, but if somebody else has not come off meds, I think that that's totally cool because that's their decision. And that's like, that's the right decision for them. Always worth caveating that. <laughs> Um, but for me, it was like, I'm, I missed, I, I missed the mountains. I missed the highs. I missed both the highs and the lows. And I felt that like, because I feel like as long as you're on a level and as long as the highs aren't too high and the lows aren't too low, um, and you don't have that manic for me, it was what I was missing was like the, um, it sounds fucking horrible. It sounds like I'm just trying to do the tortured artist trope, but it's like, I felt like a lot of the creativity came from those highs and those lows. And that was part of what I was missing. And then, of course, the um, absolute inability to uh, have an erection, uh, <laughs> which, which um, uh, you know, the, the the whole first verse of that song is a very thinly veiled um, uh, metaphor for. But um, it's, um, it's yeah, which, I mean, to be honest, it, I, both Paul and I, I think, were listening to way too much Los Campesinos for that whole, uh, that whole period. <laughs> and we were just completely riffing off Gareth from from Elsie's uh, lyrics there, but uh, we had a lot of fun trying to figure out how many times we could get a euphemism for a boner in there um, in quite a serious song about <laughs> antidepressants and depression. <laughs> so 
Yeah, it's um, and I mean the whole second verse is also just a complete Lost Camps rant style rip off. I swear we don't rip everybody off. It's just you know <laughs> they're loving homages. Yeah, no, I I do love that kind of like punk trope of like the the music kind of pulling back and then the the quick like talking intense like <laughs> it just like it's like chills every time <laughs> it's oh it's it's you know any kind of train of thought um rant if as if a band has that in there that's basically going to be one of my most listened to most listened to albums of, of that period um uh don't worry from the uk i highly recommend if you you haven't heard before um who cares anyway their record they've there's, about, I think, about half the songs on there have a rant in them somewhere, uh, which is just amazing. <laughs> I wanted to talk about kind of like the art direction for the album rollout as well. You know, it's like super cohesive with each single kind of, you know, reflecting the theme of the particular song very well, but also, you know, showing this, you know, cross section of the the house that's too big and too small. And just, you know, the general art style as well as something like, I was especially happy to see it explored because I really like dig like the the color palette and the you know the, the line work and stuff. So what was that process kind of like for you? Yeah, I, so um uh I um I'm also a designer and illustrator in my my um spare time I suppose kind of work. Um and so I've I've always been um responsible for all our merch and gig posters and whatever needed doing it was you know that was the thing that fell on my plate which I was very happy to do and I think we went through so many iterations of like what the album artwork could be we had the title we knew the title the title was like set and and that was that was very early on I think even before I think we had the song this house I I I had put my foot down and said, the album is called This House is Too Big, This House is Too Small. Another thinly veiled musical theatre reference to Dear Evan Hansen. But it's, um, but anyway. And so, yeah, so we went through loads of album artwork uh, iterations constantly, like on the WhatsApp group, like sending, how about this? How about this? What about this style? What about this style? And nothing was hitting the mark. And I was getting so frustrated because I was like, I feel like I was pushing myself as an artist to get there. Until the point where it's like, you know what, I think we need to go and talk to somebody else about this. And so, I mean, one of the good things is being in the UK, like DIY scene, it, it, it's, there are so many great artists out there. And pretty much straight away, we uh, got in touch with um, the amazing Sophie um, from, she's uh, from uh, Finnish Flag and Cheerbleeders are the two bands that she's in. Um, but is also an illustrator and and, and um, an artist, um, powerful man on Instagram. And we'd seen the work that she'd done for um, Cheerbleeders and for Doe and a whole bunch of other great bands. And we just loved, I mean, the line work is, oh, it's like chef's kiss. We kind of like wanted to see what she'd, she'd, she'd do with some of the ideas that we had. I think Paul uh, Paul is a, a videographer for his like day job, and so has very vivid scenes in his head of what he wants uh, and what he thinks. And he basically he was just like he's like dilapidated house in amongst really nice houses. Go for it. And it was like not massively restrictive. I don't know. It, she managed to capture so much in that one picture that sort of just came back. And it was just literally. I think we sent it across to her, and like within a day. It, this this had come back and it was like here you go how about this 
Um, and as the color palette was spot on. I don't know everything about it. It's just, I think, you know, apart from, I think the feed, the only feedback we ended up having was like, can you put some cobwebs in the window? Uh, that was, that was pretty much it. And so we did that. And then like, I reworked it from a design point of view to, to, so like desaturated the colors a little bit. And cause I realized pretty early on, um, there was like a, there's something about it that reminded me of, uh, like Japanese woodblock prints and that kind of like risograph, um, like very kind of, uh, Japanese-y, um, like, yeah, very like traditional Japanese woodblock print, um, style with like the colors and the texture. And so I thought I'd like work with that because I mean, there was the ties to Japan with, with some of the lyrical content and, uh, it just felt like it was right. Um, and so we kind of worked that in and, and it, it just came together so quickly. It was one of those things where it was like, I think after I'd worked it for probably like half an hour and sent it through to the boys and it was just like, yep, done. Uh, we've got it. And then, yeah, when it came to the single artwork, it was like a similar thing where we knew the songs that we were going to do. I, as the, um, arrogant artist went, Oh, I can, I can copy that style. That's, that's fine. Um, and attempted something and within very, very quickly, I realized that that was not the right way to do it. And so we just went back to Sophie and we were like, Hey, do you want to do all the singles for us? And luckily she had some space. So, um, so, and yeah, and it was like the, again, it was Paul's art direction of like, we want scenes from inside the house. But again, it was like, how about like a scary looking dog in a hallway or we want a skeleton on a bed or, you know, it, it was, it was very simple art direction. And within a couple of hours, we always had something back that was just blew our socks off and was great. And, you know, ended up, I've, I've now got them printed out downstairs on my wall because they just look, I just love them so much. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I, I feel like that would be a cool merch item, like a flash sheet or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, the closer on the album, Josie, it has like this kind of muted positivity, which is something that I really always connect with in music. I like the chorus is kind of like super sweet in that way with like, let's not call it love right now. Let's just call it hope. And uh, I don't need to make you happy, but I want to. Like, I, I just love like the kind of emotions behind that. And the intro, like flipping the script on some of the, the lines from earlier in the album is also, uh, I love the cool callbacks like that as well. What can you tell me about kind of like the, the process of creating that song? Oh, it was hard, man. It was really hard. It was, um, I, um, I, I really struggle with positive songs. I, I think you just need to go back through Retaliator's catalog to probably see that. But if it's not angry about, uh, some injustice or, um, you know, as I said, referring to how much of a piece of trash I am, um, I find it really difficult. I don't know. Even like trying to write love songs usually ends up in like cynical, you know, looking at the, the nature of love, or I don't know. But we knew, like, I don't know. I don't know if it sounds cynical to say, but it's like we knew we wanted to end on a note of hope. Like, we knew that this was a divorce record. We knew that we wanted to end on a, a note of hope. And we had, like, a pretty clear blueprint in mind of, like, what we wanted. I just started, when we started writing the song, I just started a new relationship and uh, it was going well. And uh, so like I was trying to mine that for as much as possible, but it was just, it was like everything that was coming out just sounded so horribly cliched. 
Um, and it was it was actually it was reading um, the chorus that you mentioned. The the let's not call it uh, love right now. Let's just call it hope. And somehow that was I, I was reading a book, uh, David Nichols' Sweet Sorrow, um, trash romance novel, uh, but lovely. It's same person who wrote One Day, so very similar vein. And there was just that there was a line of like I I I don't think I'm in love with her, but I know I have hope. And it was just that, that I'm like, oh my God, that is the exact feeling at the start of a relationship. It's like, I'm too scared to say the, the harsh, like the, the big words. I'm too scared to say the big words, but it's like, I've got hope for this. And it's like, that is, that's a, that's a, that's a fucking mood in itself. Right. And I think from there, like we, we got that lyric and then Paul and I sat down and sweated over the verses like hard, just trying to find the right something something that would get that across um get that feeling of like what it's like to be like in a, a beginning of a relationship um without it ending up sounding sort of massively cliched and hackneyed and i think we almost got there <laughs> you know even with the obligatory bright eyes lyric reference but um it's um yeah, I think it's like, I, I do think that that was, it's one of the hardest songs we've ever written. And then I think because of that, it's like, it's I it's one of the ones that I am really proud of as well. I don't think it's one of the, I don't, I don't, know. I don't think it's one of the best songs on the record. I think it's like a grower, but it's, um it's, it, it is one of those ones that I listen to it and, and like, I'm happy with it because like it, 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 it achieved what I was trying to achieve and like it just ended up sounding like a really lovely fun song except for the last bit the 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 closing like the closing stanzas of the the record like that remained unwritten for for months and months and months and i think it was like the last thing we recorded uh in in march of last year and um i think they were like i think i only ended up finishing those possibly in the car on the way down to the recording studio and it was like it was it was that was very much like a conscious like i want this to feel epic but i also want this to be calling back to the previous songs and like i want it to feel like i don't know it's like i really loved the idea of writing a song that belonged on that album and worked in its like in its own right afterwards but like when you play it in the context of the album it it makes sense like i don't know i i really i really loved that idea in a really like geeky nerdy way and it made me happy so <laughs> so sort of like just tried as hard as i could to get that done but at the same time like again it was like the the words just would never come and then it was like oh hey we we need to get these out we need to record them so i just kind of sat down and went okay i'm going to use i'm going to use that line and i'm going to rework it and then i'm going to use that line and i'm going to rework it <laughs> which was really fun to do and really really nerdy to do <laughs> Uh, I don't know if anybody will get it, but <laughs> <laughs> I love it personally. <laughs> and then, I mean, I always like to wrap up the same way, which is uh, just by asking for a piece of advice or something that you've been thinking about lately that you want to share, whether it's about music or life or whatever has kind of been on your mind lately. Oh, um, I think for me, I think it like it, it's it's actually not been much different for like the last four years. Um, which is around like, I think it's, <laughs> I hope it's, I hope it's not too heavy, 
but um it's around what i was saying before around um you know looking at, at your scene and and um wanting to do better and wanting to strive for better and strive for like making like inclusivity and um having like a diverse scene a default and not something that we actively have to like strive for anymore i don't know it's something that i've been thinking a lot about like it's like constant thoughts of you know especially with this this record coming out and oh hey it's another white dude getting attention it's it's like in in uh don't talk it's it's the whole concept of like if if you are going to be part of the city if you are it coming from a point of privilege and if you are coming from a, a place of privilege accept and recognize that privilege and it's okay to take up space but make sure you're using that space in a thoughtful way that is like pushing things forward and as i said like pushing things forward in a way that means that for like other people when they're stepping up and trying to take their place in in that space that there's no problems for them no matter sort of you know whether they aren't coming from that point of privilege or not and like pushing to the point where it's like hey you know let's let's fucking let's make things inclusive and make things diverse as default and part of that is like recognizing our own like shitty behaviors and our own um privileges and our own like positions of of power and like you know sometimes actually taking that opportunity to go okay cool that's that's enough from me uh let me step aside and actually give this 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 spot to somebody else um i think i've been thinking a lot about that recently and i think that it's something that like still bears repeating even though i feel like you know hey bo burnham did it in his special so um yeah it's standard mainstream knowledge now but it's it's always worth always worth saying again for sure yeah that definitely like in the very first notes of when I what I wanted this podcast to be when I was thinking about starting it like inclusivity and diversity was like one of the, the main things and like I've never I literally wrote like never have more than two bands in a row that are just all straight white dudes <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean it's pretty fucking hard there's a lot of us that's the problem <laughs> um but yeah I mean that's the thing as well like I mean it's like hey let's let's there are so many good, like, fill your ears with ev- all the great, all the great female-fronted POC, um, like, queer bands out there because they're all fucking amazing and people need to listen to them more. Um, shout out to Proper. Everybody should go and listen oh, to Proper. Oh, yeah. Oh, Proper, episode one. <laughs> episode oh, one of this go. podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So stoked for their new album. I can't wait. We're playing a show with them and we're playing a couple shows with them in April and I can't wait. And on that note, I'm pleased to say that the other episode dropping today is with Proper. As you can tell, it's one I'm super excited about, so please tune into that. Um, And it just seemed perfect because they're playing a couple shows together very soon. This House is Too Big, This House is Too Small is one of my favorite discoveries as I was coming back to the podcast and threw out the idea that I was looking for new people to talk to. So this is actually the first episode that I recorded when I came back, and I'm really excited to finally have it out here. Definitely definitely check out this house is too big this house is too small because it's just full of energy it's full of all the like excitement all the vibes that you would want and it's perfect to sing along to cry along to or whatever you're feeling at the moment so yeah i'll catch you hopefully in a couple minutes if you want to go right into the proper episode flying the call is brought to you by sound talent media in partnership with evergreen podcasts a special thank you as always to the alternative for helping to promote the show 
Jariah for the theme song, and Michaela Jane for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyTheCallPod at gmail.com. I love you. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.